Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, raw and frank conversations. My curiosity and impatience in seeking success has encouraged me to create a Half Dozen Things podcast. I designed it to bring you simplicity and discovery back to the forefront of your lives. We are all such busy people, it's easy to overlook the simple things we could be doing to achieve wealth, success and happiness. I'm buzzing today to be joined by Steve Guest. He spent the last 14 years as a recruitment specialist, opening and building new regions, brands and businesses in the UK, whilst actively specialising in recruiting commercial permanent placements within the construction sector. Steve effectively manages and mentors recruitment consultants into becoming top performing individuals in their field. Championing the underdog, the quieter, unassuming characters into achieving their targets, ambitions and goals, Steve now trains and mentors on a global scale via his 12-week recruitment mastery program and continues to add value through webinars, strategy calls, articles and such sharing value. Steve has recently published his first book, Top Biller, The Life of a Recruiter, where he maps out his journey from initial rejection to becoming a top performer. Amazon number one bestseller, Top Biller, has now sold in over 39 countries and is the highest rated recruitment book on Amazon. Steve has built a strong reputation globally based upon process, procedure and having the right structure to achieve high levels of performance. I'm absolutely buzzing to have Steve join me today, so please do have a listen. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Steve, the red light's rolling. Welcome to a Half Dozen Things podcast. How are you today, mate? Thank you. Yeah, I'm very good. Good, very good, to good. Go, as always. Brilliant. Have you, uh, have you been on any podcasts previously, Steve? I've been on a few, not many, okay. uh, a few recruitment podcasts. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. Top man. Um, I'm really pleased to have you join us. You're an absolute star. For the listeners, Steve and I actually met quite randomly at a progressive property event in Peterborough. So I'm in, I'm in Peterborough and from... Uh, from Steve's Western Twang, you'll probably hear that he's he's not. <laughs> Where exactly are you, Steve? Where are you in the world? I live in a place called Aldridge, which is North Birmingham, clusters Warsaw. There we go. Yeah, so there we go, mate. The dulcet brummy tones. There you go. And um, we, we met at Progressive Property on one of the discovery days. We've sort of followed each other's work on social media, and I've, I've sort of watched on at, at Steve's work from, uh, from a distance here in Peterborough. Obviously, we're in different sectors, but... I've been very impressed with uh, with what I've seen Steve do. He puts up, puts out some great quality content, some great videos. He's recently uh, recently been an Amazon bestseller with uh, with his book Top Biller as well. Uh, how how was it writing your book, Steve? It it was good. It was a journey. I would say overall, it probably took about eighteen months to write. There was a six month gap in there during the summer holidays where life took over. It was a challenge. I was getting up at half five every morning, getting into the office having an hour to write before anybody else turned up. And I needed to do that just to get it done. Yeah, got you. Top man. Well, 
you know, absolutely brilliant. So some of the numbers you've achieved, obviously I've uh, let the listeners know the stats on it, but it's just incredible what you've achieved and, uh, and really sort of found a, found a place in the recruitment market for, for sort of innovating and, and bringing sort of thought leadership to your sector. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. So on that, we'll have a bit of a shift around your, your six areas for business success. So for the listeners, Steve's areas include time management, personal brand, having a plan, being able to just say yes and go like just go for stuff, being all in and and also finding balance as well. So uh, there's six great areas for us to have a discussion about. So Steve, tell me a bit more about why time management is so important for you. I think for me, it's, it's my character trait. When I got into recruitment, what, 14 years ago, I'd been a strategic commodity buyer before that. So it was all about process procedure. Um, it was about ensuring that you uh, you were managing multi-million pound framework so everything was about making sure it was exact and that's just me I've never been late for meetings I always like to to leave early to ensure I get to places I worry uh, about parking spaces and it's that, that mental block in the back of your head I've always got call lists in the car and books because I'm forever leaving uh, too early and get arriving too early nice um, yeah and I got renowned certainly in the recruitment world and, and for my colleagues that I valued my time so much that I didn't want it to be disrupted by non-revenue generating tasks. So Brilliant. I set specific times. Yeah. Um, so I'd have sales times between nine and 12 and two till five before that between 12 and two and afterwards is time where I can deal with questions, queries, concerns, sit down meetings. And I just, I just value my time above everything else because I want to maximize my potential. Amazing. Yeah, no, that's absolutely amazing. And you're, you're one of the first guests to sort of talk about it in that depth. And it's something that I've been um, recently really working on and sort of setting that default diary that you've just alluded to there yeah. where you've got this, this sort of fixed period where, where you do different things because I'm, um, I can be quite reactive. I like to, it's difficult, isn't it? Because when I was, when I was employed, you're focused on delivering a great service all the time, but it means that you end up getting dis- disrupted all the time and then going yeah. off and dealing with other people's burning desires rather than, rather than finding your own. And um, yeah, recently just going through a process of setting a diary, but also something I've done recently and, uh, and, and you don't need to tell me the number, but do you, have you already worked out sort of what, what you believe your hourly rate is and then what you're working towards as you cut stuff away? Yeah. If you can go on a spreadsheet, Generally, I've got a spreadsheet for it and I've worked it out because I like the stats to, to marry up. And certainly in recruitment, I want to know that my output is at its maximum to generate the highest returns. And, and that was the same for my staff. Yeah. So I am a firm believer of having, at the very least, an annual plan, a month plan, a week plan and a day plan. And it's broken down accordingly to ensure you maximise what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my whole ethos as a recruiter, as a mentor, as a coach. It's about making sure you manage your time effectively because then everything else takes care of itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, within recruitment, it's so easy to get distracted because there can be so many things that happen on any given day that actually you can, you can have a busy day. You can get to the end of the day and go home and think, I've done really well here. But actually, if you measure your output and look at how you spent your time, most of the time you've been dealing with queries or messages or incoming calls. You passed it to somebody else to deal with and you haven't actually focused on what you should be doing. 
Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's um, you kind of you kind of have to have the exact goals, like you've got the plan in place for the goals. What do you want to achieve this year, and then and then sort of reverse engineer that. Yeah. To, what does that minute, almost like pounds, shillings, and pence, this minute to that minute to to that sort of hour block or or what have you, Completely. down to the finite detail. Completely, I tend to have almost like a, well, I have a yearly financial goal, a monthly financial goal, and then I break that financial goal down into tasks. So there'll be weekly tasks that I have to achieve. uh, And then those weekly tasks are broken down again into days, into hours, into um, shifts, or I suppose set times within those days that I know I have to achieve them. And Mm. as things come in, they then become almost like a a priority list. Get put into certain areas that, will allow me to either drop everything to get it done because it's urgent and it's exclusive and it needs to be done now, or actually is it something that can wait till the end of the week mm-hmm. um, or within a time where actually there's no perhaps revenue linked to that task. Yeah. Do you um, sort of work out the, the tasks that you're doing? And, and this is just for the listeners to reflect on if, if they're in a similar position. And I'm, So I need to make it clear at this point that you've been doing you've been a specialist in recruitment for 14 years. So, you know, you you know your stuff and you've been, you've been experienced in the sector for a long time, but can you almost predict over the period of like a three hour calling period, the number of people you'll call, how many leads that will generate and then sort of the conversion ratios off the back of that to to then equal. So I, I talk a lot about controlling the controllables. So basically what that means is I can't, necessarily have a control over who gets offered who gets the position what the fee generated uh, levels are going to be what i can control is the number of clients i speak to that will generate enough vacancies to work on mm-hmm. if i speak to enough candidates i have enough candidates to focus for those vacancies and if i send out enough cvs every week i will arrange x amount of interviews mm-hmm. if i arrange x amount of interviews i will get two to three offers for those numbers and then everything then equates mm-hmm. if i don't focus on my activity and my output in terms of cv sent to vacancies the, the returns will never generate themselves mm-hmm. and partly what gets lost in recruitment is everyone is fixated on the numbers it's always about the monthly financial figure and actually they don't necessarily understand what it takes to get there and they don't break it down either yeah, got you. For me, I want to break down everything. I want to know what my average fee value is, how many interviews I need to arrange to arrange or get enough offers, how many offers turn into placements. Mm. And there's so many KPI stats and ratios within recruitment, almost to the nth degree, which is detrimental to the service. But actually, if you break it down to the bits that you need, which is controlling the controllables and managing your time effectively, everything else takes care of itself. Yeah, got you. And that i found is where the exponential value can be created because if you know if you're once you're at terminal capacity in the number of calls that you're making and and the the amount of work or output that you're making and and i know nothing about recruitment at all and i'm just applying it to sort of productive roles that i've worked with in the past when you know that someone's at terminal velocity you then start to look at the efficiencies and conversion ratios and that that's when exponential results can then start to happen because if you if you know your numbers um, and you then start to make, you know, it's the law of 1% changing by 1%. You can it's then the really start gains. to yeah. Yeah, yeah, really amplify the results. I talk about marginal gains a lot. And even things like if I was to task a consultant to make 20 sales calls a day, which is more than achievable, 
Um, those are the targets I was given when I first started in recruitment. If you can hit 21 calls over 12 months, you effectively do two weeks extra work. And then if you think you're doing two weeks extra work, those calls generate so many interviews will generate X amount of pounds on top of your over yearly um, revenue. The impact is huge. And that's just making one extra call. So yeah. imagine you send one extra CV. Imagine you arrange one extra interview. And it's all these elements. There's a great book called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. Um, having been within FX and commodity trading for about eight years as well, it's always about finding that slight edge, whether that's over your competition, whether it's improvement in service, process, delivery, um, output. For me, that's what it's all about. If you can measure things and then look at it and think, okay, well, what if I just tweak this? What if I change this slightly? And what's the, the overall added value from it? It's all about marginal gains. And I love that to bits. One of my yeah. fav- favorite subjects. Yeah, love it. Love it. And I'm smiling because I've recently read a book and I don't know if you'll have read it by Jeb Blount, The Fanatical Prospecting. I haven't actually. Have you not? Well, no. there you go. You could have written it yourself. Fanatical Prospecting <laughs> is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So his thing is literally what you've just said. One of his things is make one more call. Just make one more call. Don't finish your day. Make one more call. Yeah. Keep making one more call. Yeah. uh, There's a book called The Compound Effect uh, by Darren Harder. And for years, I've bought that for all my consultants. Um, And The Compound Effect covers everything from just your normal lifestyle. It might be that you're trying to lose weight. So you walk that extra mile every day. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's making that extra step. Yeah. And all those elements are so important. And I think as a salesperson, you've got to have that thought process. Yeah. Don't leave it till tomorrow. Don't get up and give yourself that excuse on a Friday to say you've had a good week. If you haven't achieved everything you should have achieved, stay there until it's done and then go home. Yeah. Fanatical prospecting, genuinely. I've, if you've not read it, that's I've a great that down, introduction. Yeah. That's a great introduction to any sort of cold calling sales type role. Um, I thought it, it's really easy, quick read. And there's some great humor in there as well. You know, when you, when you rock up somewhere and they're like, oh, you again, it's like, well, you know, I've not had quite enough rejection today. So I thought I'd come and get it topped up. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> you know? that sounds like my story. <laughs> <laughs> Just some, some great humor, some great humor in it too. So yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, brilliant. So um, moving on to sort of the next area, like personal brand, which is so important. And here we are talking on a podcast sort of living what's so important about building a personal brand. Um, for you, what, what is your personal brand and what, and what does it mean to you, Steve? So personal brand has, has always been kind of ingrained. When, when I first started in recruitment, I was always asked the question by clients, what makes you any different to all the other recruiters out there that say exactly the same thing, the service delivery is the same, everything you talk about is the same as the next recruiter that's going to walk in the door. What makes you different? And the, the only answer that you could ever give is, I'm the difference. I'm the person that will make the difference because I will go out and spend more time. I will work harder and I will find the people that nobody else can find. So in effect, you always as a recruiter selling you as the personal brand without social media, without all the technological advances that you've got now to be able to do that. It was always about how you as a person delivered and you could always out muscle your, your competition. But I think, from going from what I perhaps class as an old school traditional recruiter, it was all about activity, it was calls, it was grabbing the phone book and ringing through everybody to now having um, such a kind of a mass of social media and being able to document your journey and put 
your personal brand out there so people see the whites of your eyes um, makes a massive difference. And I've always been somebody that is willing to put myself out there um, for people to see that I'm genuine, I'm honest, I'm ethical, I'm hardworking, and I really care about what I do because that's really important. I, um, as you know, we were going through various progressive property networking days and, and a lot of those networking meetings were about putting videos out telling people what you do, tell everyone what you do and how you work. And, and whilst I was having those conversations, I was petrified about putting videos out, being judged, being ridiculed, assessed, critiqued, whatever it might be. And it took me probably about 12 months before I put my first video out. And it was horrendous, to be honest. I've still got the first video. It was, I was driving down to Watford. It was about half seven in the morning and I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk's book, Crush It!, and in his um, very polite manner, was saying, basically, you need to get out your own way and just do it. So I, I parked the car up in a car park, did my first video, and it was very much, hi, I'm Steve. This is my first ever social media video. There's no value. There's no content. It's just me getting over a personal hurdle. Let me know what you think. And that was it. And then somebody commented on my post, uh, great first video, but now I challenge you to do 10 videos in 10 days. And the reason that person did it was for me to get over the worry of doing more videos. And actually it sets you on a plan where by the 10th video, you're thinking of content every day. So it helps. But actually by the 10th video, if you look back at the very first one, the progression was huge. Um, and what happened in that journey was massive as well. The interaction I got, I was getting clients and candidates I hadn't spoke to for years. I was getting friends from university who I hadn't spoke to for 15, 16 years send comments and messages. I'd got people saying I'd inspired them to actually hand in their resignation and leave because they always wanted to do their own personal thing. <laughs> I'm sat there thinking, yeah, don't do anything too drastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't but, send me the bill for that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I got a few things. I'd got um, one person that had a bit of a, a go at me for the fact that they didn't believe what I was putting out was reflective of the company I worked with at the time. But actually the story of the videos was all about personal branding. It was about me. It was about my motivators, my core values, my reasons why, and all these sorts of relevancies. And what's kind of progressed from there was I've built up really strong social media networks, mm -hmm. request engagement. I always have call to actions on my posts and it gets people following the journey. I got people involved with the journey in terms of the publishing of the book. So my network chose the front cover of the book. Um, I think I initially started with 12 different versions. Um, and what you're doing is you're sharing a journey with everybody around you that elevates your personal brand that little bit higher and people start to recognize you for who you are. So I could turn up to networking meetings and I'll have people I've never met, never spoken to come up to me and start talking to me like they've known me for years. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't, know, who you, I don't know who you are. And that, I mean, that's great. I had consultants going to client meetings and they were sat in front of a client I didn't know. And they were talking about me and my videos, asking what the next video would be, offering suggestions for the next videos. My consultants were coming back to the office saying, Steve, I'm fed up of going to my client meetings and talking about you. Can you stop doing these videos? <laughs> you should be getting their commission as well. <laughs> well do, you, do you know what? It's enjoyable if you've got a good solid network that, that go with you. You can have a bit of fun with it. Um, I, I wrote Top Biller the book to differentiate me from the rest of the recruitment market because no recruitment consultant writes a book and there's not many that have. I think there's six or seven on Amazon um, and most of them are from trainers or coaches and they're like textbooks. 
So I wanted to write a book that was relatable, but actually because I knew I was going in a different direction to where I'd spent the last 11 years, I wanted to become the recruiter that wrote the book. And I wanted that to be my business card that built the the personal brand. Um, And as you say, the book's done amazingly well, far better than I thought it would. And if I'm honest, my honest intentions at the start, sold in 39 countries, Amazon number one, um, continues to be over social media consistently and constantly. And it's been, it's been fantastic. And that's what's elevated me to new levels of expectation and work. And I feel like I have to offer even more value now because people look at me from that personal brand. The pressure's on now. The pressure's on now. It is. And and it's good pressure. It really is good pressure because you don't want to let people down and you don't want to under deliver. So it just keeps the momentum going. Definitely. And just, just whilst we're on personal brand, something we spoke about off air before we came on part of putting yourself out there is that you, you kind of put your chin out. And sometimes when you lead with your chin, um, you know, a, a lot of people's fear will be that they're going to get negativity towards them. Um, have you have you had negativity in the past? And, and so yeah. how, how have you handled that, Steve? It's, it's difficult because um, I think as human beings, if you care about what you do, then you're going to care that people aren't happy with what you've done or they feel the need to, to drag you down. I had an incident probably three or four months ago. So within recruitment at the moment um, and with the current pandemic and everything else going on, the majority of the market have been on furlough. So I've been sat at home, unable to work, probably feeling quite insecure and, and worried about what the future holds. So I, um, I gave up a week of my diary where consultants could book in and talk to me about their problems, their worries, their concerns. <clears throat> I said, you can spend 30 minutes with me. You can have a rant, you can have a cry, we can hug each other, whatever it might be. Um, and we can just discuss a way of you getting some value out of this downtime. So I expected 10, 12 people to book in, probably people that I knew, but it ended up being 62 people and it was global. It was people, South Africa, US, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, Switzerland, Japan. Um, it was amazing. It was an exhausting week. And I put out a post at the end of the week, just saying this week's been brilliant. Lots of value from both sides. Having spoke to, people globally or recruiters globally um it's been a really good week and i happened to have on at the time a t-shirt that said hustle i love wearing that t-shirt and i put a video out on social media just saying been a great week and i had someone um basically send an a message that was trying to bring me down a peg or two saying i was overindulgent and shouldn't be doing stuff that i was doing um and this person had also sent a few messages to people i'd giving advice to in the week so i just put out a post saying yeah there's always one trying to bring you down and then the trolling just got worse and it was really personal it was name calling it was trying to i suppose just ridicule me Mm. Uh, and every time i responded the comments were getting deleted so it felt like it was an attack but with no um no responses i even said at one point i think you just need a a hug (laughs) and that got deleted (laughs) I'm, I'm okay. I can take it. I'm big enough. I'm used to rejection and, and dealing with it. But when it's a personal attack and it's out there and there's no need for it, I didn't know the person. It hurts. Mm. And I was probably walking around uh, with a, like a bear with a sore head for a few days. And my wife was saying, you just need to remove that negativity. So I ended up blocking and deleting this person. But I think I, it's just there. And, and certainly at the moment, I think people are, they're, they're having frustration. 
they're dealing with troubles, whatever that might be inside and outside of work. And I think social media is an easy chance for people just to be nasty and spiteful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm generally quite good at, at removing it and moving on. I'm a happy mm. go lucky type person. I'm motivated every day of the week, but sometimes it, it does knock you back a few steps. Definitely. Uh, I think it's sorry. just that's where you are. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I can't say that I've never felt that fear either. And, um, you, you feel, you feel really fearful that, that, that people aren't going to like what you do. And then, and then there are a lot of people who will like what you do and follow what you do, but you're just waiting for that knobhead who, who's going to try and burst your bubble and, and try yeah. and put, score a few points. And, you know, we're, we're having a bit of a chat off air and, and what have you. And I think what, what's the, what's a real challenge at the moment is, there are people that put themselves out there and probably don't have a lot of value, a lot of value to add, but there are, there are people who do. And, and the thing is, is there, then, then there's people who are, are willing to take it out, you know, like you say, whatever frustrations, however that manifests itself, yeah. uh, there, there's people wanting to, to, to take, take shots at you for putting yourself out there. Well, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it's, Go and walk. Go and walk your own challenges. You know, go go and sort of walk a mile in my shoes before you try and judge judge well, what I'm doing. It, you know, I, I say I, I put myself out there for my family. I want to go through the bits that are tough. I'm not a, an extrovert. I'm not someone that necessarily puts myself out there. Mm. I even having gone through school and university, I was the um, academic that was the quiet, unassuming guy at the back of the office, uh, back of the classroom. And I went out to be a holiday rep for two years because I needed to put myself in a position that I was uncomfortable in. And I've, I've led that ever since mm. I am even in board meetings, director meetings. Now I will be the one that won't necessarily jump in with two feet and give my thoughts because mm. I want that considered approach. So for me to do what I'm doing has had to, it, it's been a skill that I've had to learn. So I think when you're doing things like social media videos, writing a book, allowing a global audience to actually just pull you apart. It, it carries that weight with it. And I think even with the book, so I've, at the moment, I think the last stats were it's 87% five-star reviews. It's the highest reviewed Amazon book, but I've had one, one-star review who said the book was rubbish, had no real content. And it was me talking about me the whole, through, the whole way through and they got no value from it. That sticks in my brain more than the other 146 positive five-star reviews. I don't know whether yeah. it's just that human trait. You sit there and yeah, you think, yeah. oh, it's giving me one star. Yeah, <laughs> Why yeah. is it giving me one star? Yeah, yeah, and definitely. You, you almost remove the good bits. And this, 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 um, I'm going to say something that's going to make you feel a whole lot better. And it's something that I always tell myself. Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter book has got 13 one-star reviews on Amazon from knobheads. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's given Harry Potter one star reviews? It just goes to show though, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think it, it just goes to show that if Harry Potter can get 13 one star reviews or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, then... I should cherish my one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, mate. Like genuinely, it's just, you know, I think I think we we have to change the way we we look at look at stuff, I guess. It's, uh, it's hard, isn't it? It is it's it's really, difficult. really hard thing to get your head Very around. Very difficult. And we we kind of said again off air I think I put myself out there because I want my kids to grow up and I've tried things and I've risked things to be able to say this is the route you should probably look at don't try it that way because I did and it failed or just to do 
bits that allow them freedom of choice as they grow up mm. and they can see that actually taking risks can be a good thing mm. putting yourself out there can be a good thing and doing things that generally people don't do can be a good thing and I, I want that because I was always the person that was frightened of doing something and putting myself out there as, as a child growing up that actually it's a really good thing and I think throughout school throughout education we we're quite often taught that you don't do that you don't have that entrepreneurial thought process or that flair or that creativity because if it's wrong it's wrong don't do it again yeah brought up in a world that um doesn't reward failure doesn't reward risk completely um, you know and we're, we're sort of uh brought up in a way to to numb that spirit i suppose is is how i see it and i see i see it in the kids you know yeah. my my eldest daughter my own, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but my oldest daughter's in year 10, just started sociology. And to be fair, people locally to me will know what school she goes to as well. And the sociology teacher told her about how greedy Jeff Bezos is to be in the position he's in. And that really? it's totally unwarranted that someone has so much money. And I was like, that's um, unbelievable. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. But this is, this is the garbage that our kids are getting, you know, <sighs> And I'm not saying, and, and genuinely, but I'm, I'm just going to back that up a minute because I'm not going to say that everything at school is wrong or anything like that because yeah, there's yeah. some teachers out there who are working their asses off and doing a fantastic yeah. job. And I'm not really taking a pot at any of the teachers. The system's kind of broken. We're, we're working in a school system which catered for people to go out into factories and crunch, yeah. you know, crunch numbers and write, write out instructions for how things are done and, and no one ever really sort of got out of their box. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what stifled creativity and innovation in the UK totally. Um, oh, yeah. But to, to Gary Vaynerchuk a few weeks ago and he'd said a quote where it was the, the, the school um, education was based on memory. It was about memorizing the information that was given you to sit a test and, and get a grade. But it was done before the art of the Internet where actually you don't need to remember anything now. You can just Google it. And that's the difference. We've got a, a, an old school education system that suits certain professions, but actually there's so much more now that's available that it almost needs a really big shift in Definitely. Um, how, how things are taught. And, and, and we're going to, we're digressing what way away yeah. from half dozen <laughs> things here, but I'm going to stick with it because actually yeah. this is golden, right? And, and, and this is a, a firm belief of mine. And I know that you've invested in university education and, uh, and what have you. And, and that's something that I didn't do. And, I, and I'm not, I'm not knocking that for any, any stretch of the imagination. It's absolutely valuable for certain professions and required. But we're in an age where we don't need to reload knowledge in the hope that it may be useful one day. Yep. My degree is in accounting and finance. Yeah. And I'm a recruitment consultant in sales. Whilst it's fine for my spreadsheets and numbers and um, there was an element of marketing management within my degree. So that's been useful. Mm. Um, but it was more about me as a person. Uni. It was never about the education. Mm. I am a, I got A's and B's at school throughout. Mm. I worked mm. really hard. I used to run home to get the early bus to do my homework. That's yeah. how sad I was. Um, I went to a grammar school. Everything was about education and um, being academically at the top of what you can do. Um, and I've got two boys, I've got a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. And my thought process now on education has changed mm. on the basis that I want them to do well and I want them to be good at school, work hard and do what they need to do. But actually, do I put emphasis on them getting top grades? No. Do I want them to have more life skills? Definitely. Mm. There was a guy on interview on, on the um, breakfast show with Chris Evans last week. Mm. Um, Elaine, 
Botan, I think it was. Okay. I got that right. He's wrote a book called The School of Life. Okay. And I've just started reading it. And his was very much about the fact that what we've discussed. So top students come out of education. They go into certain professions because they need those academic qualifications. Mm. But actually, my lessons, and I can t- talk personally, my best lessons have come in the last eight years. Mm. where I've put myself out there and the life lessons, learning about wealth management and um, how to create multiple streams of income and grow businesses. None of that came from school. No. And it comes from about putting yourself out there, surrounding yourself with the right people, Mm. making sure that you're moving forward in terms of how you deliver and what you do, how Mm. you motivate yourself and do all these things. Mm. Um, Whilst the school must have some area in terms of it taught me responsibility. And mm. I went through and I worked hard. That bit mm. hasn't changed. Yeah. But have my academic grades got me anywhere? Not really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, um, it's fascinating. You've got a very similar, it's, it's interesting because we've got such a similar outlook and, yeah. um, you know, I, uh, very similar to you. I came out of school, straight A's and A stars, a couple of B's, um, went to school, went to college and, um, I just got fed up of being told what I should and shouldn't do. And I thought yeah. I could do better. And if I look back, I thought it'd be easier. I thought, I thought life and working life would be easier than what it is. But all of my learning, like you say, has come in the last few years where you kind of, you're taught to look at the world in a one dimensional way in that yeah. this is how it works. And then in reality, it's totally three dimensional and that the impact that you can have on it and uh, compound effect and the things that you're not really taught about you know, yeah. leverage, compound effect, effort and gains and, you know, all, all, all of that good stuff. And uh, I encourage the kids to work hard at school because it's important that they work yep. hard and they learn that ethic. But if they don't achieve the bo- tick the boxes that are set for them, then they don't tick the boxes that are set for them. My, my lad came back from a play date yesterday. He's eight. He came back from a play date and the feedback from the parent was he was so polite and lovely and we would love to swap one of ours for him because of how well behaved he was <laughs> and 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 how yeah. polite and and friendly and funny was and and the yeah, laughter yeah. and what have you do you know what i'll take that all I'll day take long that. take yeah. that all day long you know yeah, yeah. He's, he's learning to be a great communicator and he's learning to treat people well and, and what have you and that that makes me just as proud as him yeah. yeah as exceeding at school anyway let's get back Sorry. on the plan because i tell you what we've massively digressed <laughs> talking of which the third area is having a plan and a written plan uh the three s's structure systems and scalability yeah uh, talk to me a bit more about those things. so <clears throat> that's me in a nutshell i am very process procedure as we've kind of already talked about in, within the time management but again so when i first went for a role in recruitment i was rejected and i was told I didn't fit the profile of a recruiter because I wasn't loud enough. I wasn't flash enough, wasn't flamboyant enough. Didn't necessarily have that brash confidence to go out and sell. And the feedback was I didn't fit the profile for what they were looking for. So I came out of the interview rejected. I was really um, put back to be honest, because I was used to getting jobs when I went for interview. And this was with Hayes Purchasing and Supply. Qualified buyer. I thought it was a natural move for me to go and recruit for purchasing staff. Um, I came out of the interview, went across the road to Hayes Construction and Property, same brand, different P&L. And I just said, look, I can do this. Take me on and I will spend every single hour of every single day proving them wrong over there. I sat in a room of very loud, confident, salesy people. And I was sat there thinking, that's not me. And I can't do it that way. What I can do is make sure I've got a specific structure. I deliver on the processes that I set out. 
and I basically just monitored and measured as I worked. So things like the KPIs, the targets, I worked to the targets and I made sure that I fitted everything in to get to that Friday to make sure it happened. So I built on the structure. I created the systems that allowed me to maximize everything I was doing that then allowed me to scale. So I was quickly the regional record holder at Hayes within a couple of years. Um, it was 17 perm placements in a month. So if it paints a picture, the average recruiter will place between two and three people a month. And that's huge. And I, as far as I'm aware, it's still the regional record. Um, and the reason that happened was because I just worked to a system and going back to controlling the controllables, I just went through the front end elements and that's what came out at the end. I didn't go out to go and make 17 perm placements. It's just the way how it, how it landed from the efforts that I put out. There was elements of luck in there. There was one, uh, I'd got, I think, five people up for interview for one position and the client took four of them. There you go, though, right? Which, which is great. And it was a fantastic call to have. Um, but it was about making sure that, a different, again, I differentiated myself from everybody else because most recruiters... Uh, and if you've got recruitment consultants listening to this, most will be in this position. They are excellent at relationship building. They are great in front of people. They are good at building those relationships and those partnerships. But actually, they don't necessarily always back it up with a system or a structure behind it. They'll make lots of calls. They'll talk to lots of people, but they'll have no idea what they've done by the end of the week mm -hmm. and how to measure it or change it. And I was the opposite. Mm -hmm. So I stood out to everybody because... I was that structured person. Yeah, got you. And 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 that's so so important and actually so relevant, particularly when when I look back at uh, my history in in sales and some of the salespeople I worked with. You know, the the, the confidence and the, the relationship building was spot on. But it is such an important factor as having that system, having having really really good systems that you can uh, build a structure around. Um, I think find that fascinating. If if I set it was simple things like setting out what I was going to do. So for every client, I would find three candidates to interview for every candidate I registered. I'd find them three interviews to go to. And it allowed me to manage and control the process better because I'm maximizing my potential of an offer and a placement because the structure's there and I know what I'm going out to do. It's not just me making lots of calls to see what happens. I go out with a specific reason for what I'm looking to achieve. If I say I'm going to call you at Wednesday at 4 p.m., I'll call you at Wednesday at 4 p.m. and it doesn't get forgotten. Mm. So actually what, what happens is clients and candidates become to rely on the fact that you just deliver on what you say you're going to deliver. Even if it's just feedback to say nothing's happened or at the moment I haven't found anything, the fact that you've agreed to it and you've stuck to it, the structure keeps you accountable for everything that you do. So simple when you think about it as well, isn't it? it? It's dead simple, but so many people struggle with it. Yeah, they do. Yeah, 100%. Don't use the CRM system properly. Don't log opportunities. Don't follow up tasks. Sorry, have I pushed the button there, Steve? Oh. <laughs> Honestly, databases for me, um, I have the same conversation with my wife. So I am, everything gets recorded on the database, down to messages, because I want to understand how many messages I'm leaving for a client that doesn't come back to me. My wife, very much the opposite end. And she's recruited for longer than I have. We've been competitors for 11 years of the 14 years I've been doing it just doesn't see the point of a database wow and it drives wow. me insane no i couldn't you don't even like need that. to cut that bit out yeah <laughs> trust me your wife would get me right on edge yeah uh she she <laughs> is the chaos to my structure yeah 
and we've been together 20 years so they do say opposites attract don't they yeah it sounds like are. sounds like you've got like this i see this like brad pitt angelina jolie like uh Completely. mr and mrs smith relationship yeah. going on yeah without the looks <laughs> that'll, be the, that'll be yeah that'll be that'll be the film i went yeah. do you want me to edit that bit out no. <laughs> does she look like angelina jolie it's <laughs> better there we go keep Top that man. bit in that's yeah. what I like to hear. I'll keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Right. This is something I massively subscribe to as well. And that's saying yes and figuring out how to do after, how to do something afterwards. Yeah. Just going for it. Yeah. Tell me about that. So you've got, you've got to have that ethos. And again, it's something that I've learned to do because of the way I'm built and, and my thought process. I've spent many years wanting to be a hundred percent accurate, perfect and get things to a position where I'm just comfortable with it being there. And obviously you then procrastinate and nothing ever happens. So I had to just get to a point where I would put things out or I'll give you a, a story. So I, during lockdown, um, had a message from a large recruitment network and they messaged me saying, would you do a guest talk in front of 2,500 recruitment businesses? Um, it needs to be about half an hour long. If you can record it, send it over. We go live next Thursday. And it was a Friday night. I'd had a couple of whiskeys in front of the telly. And I just sent, yeah, of course, no problem. And then thought, I'll just worry about it afterwards. I sent the the message back. And honestly, I spent the next three days fretting about what I was going to do. Because if if you've done social media videos and you know just recording a 60-second video, how many takes that can take sometimes. Knowing you've got to talk for half an hour when you're in lockdown the wife, the two boys, and we just got a puppy that was seven months old were in the house. And I had to record a half an hour talk. And I think at the time it was about personal branding. It was about the things that could create that um, relevance of kind of value. Um, I ended up, I think I sent the, the wife out with the boys and our puppy on um, at car park bingo. So I said, you've got to go out for an hour. So I knew I'd probably got about 45 minutes to record. Um, and I just went for it. And actually the feedback was really good, but the thought process after I'd said yes was really, really tough to handle. And, and now I just get it to a point where I just say yes. And then you think about it afterwards. I've done a few live stream uh, interviews in the U S over the last six months with people I don't know. Um, and they've contacted me through social media saying, can we talk about your book? Can we talk about what's happening? And 12, 18 months ago, I'd have probably said, no I don't think so I'm not really sure what I'd say or I'd just ignore the message <laughs> and now I just think do you know what let's just let's just go with it and been, it's been brilliant and a lot of what you have in your head the limiting beliefs the worries the concerns actually don't ever even come close when you actually just go and do it amazing I love that that's some it's, great stuff's happened to you from just saying the yeah, last the last six it. months at the very least has been a roller coaster and, and I think I've just got in my head that you've just got to go with it and enjoy it, have a bit of fun. Um, if it's a disaster and it all falls apart, then hey-ho, it's a learning lesson and you move on. For listeners, um, you, you know, you, your book sold in 39 countries and has, has sold so many copies. And even now you, you still feel the fear anyway, you know, yeah. and, and, and you just have to get over that. So that is sending a message to people that, the fear doesn't go away. You it know, doesn't go the, away. The, 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 the gigs get bigger. I think you have to channel it. Mm. And yes, I, I am a genuinely a nervous person. I don't necessarily like 
putting myself out there, albeit it probably appears from the outside world that I'm always there, I'm always on social media, I'm always doing stuff. That doesn't come naturally. Mm. And you have to really work at it, or I have to really work at it. And I think mm. you've just got to go and do it. Mm. You've, only got, you've only got one life to live, so you might as well go and try and do things. For me, roller coasters are still out of, that's not happening. I ain't doing any fast rides. But really? everything else, I generally will say yes. To. I'm not great with heights, you see. Oh, you don't know I, what you I'd, r- now, I'd rather you? stand there and hold the coats and watch everyone else scream. Oh, um, wow. But, but everything else is okay. I'll generally say yes to it. That's, that's my flaw. <laughs> that's my Achilles heel. Nice, nice. Okay, cool. So moving on to the fifth area then. We're, we're yep. sort of pushing on through now, being yep. all in. Yeah. That's just about being 100% committed. And, and mm. I think... in in everything I do, everything I set out to do, I want to be a hundred percent in there because I want to deliver on value. And actually I don't ever want people to come back to me and say, well, that was a bit half ass. Why, why did you only do it for that long? Or why didn't you complete it? So it's about almost kind of pushing those boundaries. And I say living on edge, but that's probably an extreme statement, but it's about making sure that you find the elements that, you can just make sure you give it your best every single time. So you don't sit there on a Friday thinking, oh, I've had an okay week because that's you letting yourself off the hook. It's mm-hmm. about making sure if you commit to doing your 20 calls a day, if you commit to arranging the interviews, if you commit to writing the book, then you just get it done. Mm-hmm. Commit to getting the book on audio. So I've got, it's gone out on audible. Um, it was something I wanted to do. I actually wanted to narrate it. Um, mm-hmm. But because of lockdown, I didn't have any of the equipment and I committed to the fact that it was going out. Um, when was it April, May? Um, so I actually got Pete Morgan to narrate it, who delivered the, the audio as well. Um, and all the artwork and the submissions and things because I'd committed to getting it done. The easy solution there was to actually say, well, I can't do it because lockdowns arrived. So let's just delay it until it's passed and then I'll do it later. And I think you just have to, you just have to go with it whatever the hurdle, whatever the obstacle, you find the, op- the, the solution or the opportunity that rises from it and just go with it anyway. 100%. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's almost like, or what I found when I go all in, if, you, if you're fully committed, you're actually thinking, I'm going to have to cut some stuff away because I'm not going to actually manage to achieve all this. That's kind of how yeah. my brain now works. And I used to think I was busy all the time and I realized that before I was just busy and um, I wasn't necessarily just committing us you find a vacuum and then you then you fill it um, with with stuff and um, you over time you have to be more and more strategic about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do and uh, and then cutting out cutting out what you're not going to do but that's very hard when you're so committed as well I I find that almost like a paradox really it is I think I think being all in fits for me anyway, really well with the other elements we've talked about, having that plan, that structure, managing your time effectively to be able to tick the boxes that you need to for whatever you've committed to. And I think that's, that's what keeps me kind of progressing and keeping that momentum because I've got times within each week that allows me to commit to each element that I'm trying to do. Would you say you're quite driven? I'm massively driven. Mm. I set myself a 10 year plan when I was 35 to be financially free by the time I'm 45. Mm. Now I've said this on a couple of podcasts now, so I'm increasing the accountability every time I talk to someone. I'm I'm 42 in February. Wow. I know I don't look it, 
You don't, mate, no. Uh, no. Easy paper end. Yeah. Um, so that's the plan. Um, I knew when I set that, that within that them 10 years, I've got to be doing things that are outside the norm because becoming financially free is difficult. It's difficult, especially when you've got other people that you're responsible for. And you haven't kicked the goal back then? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> we will see. I'm, come, I'm bringing you back on in three years yeah. for you to go off. I've effing retired. I will hold you to that. So my birthday is the 26th of February. So first week of March in three years' time. Amazing. Three and a bit years. We will see. Wow. I'd love to be financially free. And to be fair, I've... Um, I feel scared saying it because that makes me accountable then. Um, Put yourself out there. Yeah. So the thing is, is I, um, I know I'm too driven to not work in that. I will always need to do something, but my vision is, is that by the time I'm 40, I'll be able to wind, wind it back a little bit. If you see what I mean. And just, um, I want to build, I want to build a business that I can run from anywhere. Yeah. And do do what I choose to do. And it's that freedom, I think. It's or, the choice, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. the freedom of choice to be able to be anywhere and choose what you do. But I've got slightly longer than you. I've got six years. Well, five and a half years. Five and a half well, years. If you get there and I don't, yeah. maybe I'll come and live with you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan, mate. Yeah. So when, when we talk about being all in and overly committed and being really, really driven... Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this means to you and, and your final, your half dozen thing is around finding balance yeah. and out of all of this stuff <laughs> that we've talked about, and I, I say stuff flippantly, I don't mean it that way, but we've talked about loads of great things that we need to do to, to ensure success and to ensure that we can be financially free by the time we're 45 or yeah. 40 or, or whatever the case may be, whatever that goal is for, for the individual. But when you're so highly driven, which you clearly are because you've written a book and you've launched it and all of the effort that's gone into that alongside the day job and the risks you've taken over time um, and and, and the commitment you've shown, do you find time to switch off, find imbalance? How do you find that? I struggle. I do really struggle. And as, as I kind of alluded to earlier, my wife is the complete opposite to me. So I sit there, sit there and I make like a 12 monthly plan every year. And my plan is generally always about numbers, finance, wealth, growth, development, work, business. And Emma's is about having fun, going on holidays, spending money, doing things that we should be doing outside of work and enjoying the fruits of life and everything else that goes with it. And I think in many ways, I owe a lot of it to Emma because she she knocks it back out of me when I'm sat there still working at stupid o'clock. It's tough because I just struggle to switch off and it's simple things like uh, even just so people contact me all the time about the book and they'll be asking advice and questions and things. And because my consistent thought process is to keep adding value, it's responding to those at 10, half 10 at night. And my wife's saying, you want you on the phone again? And it's it's that constant struggle between it. Um, and it's, it's having someone that says, put your phone down. We're going for a walk in the Lake District for two days where you've got no signal, you've got no choice. And I'll sneak the laptop in the bag and obviously never to be seen again. It's, <laughs> she brings balance. If it was just me, I would really struggle. Yeah. And I would have no social life and no friends. And it would be a lot darker than probably what it is at the moment. 
<laughs> so, she's there yeah. looking at you as well, isn't she? She's listening. She's not. I've oh, banished her. No, no. Oh, I've, I've banished her. So, <laughs> and and we've I've got two lovely boys um, who obviously pull us away. So when I I started working from home for three or four months the back end of last year, and I lasted until January, and then hired an office because. I couldn't concentrate. I was losing a few hours every day. And to be fair to the, to our boys, they'd come in and because you're at home, they'd expect attention and, and it's unfair to not, not do that. And I needed that element of where I've got that personal workspace. So um, I get in from work, I'll read the stories at night and I'll bath them and, and spend a bit of time with them. And then when they're in bed, I tend to go back to doing some work. Um, my relax, relaxation times, Friday night movie, a couple of uh, beers, bit of chill time that's that's probably about it but yeah it is tough definitely definitely and I, that really resonated with me as well because you know i wouldn't go on holiday if it wasn't for mags you know and we, we both work together in the business and we couldn't be more opposite either we we are really really talking shoes for anyone anyone that knows us so it, that very very much resonates and i wouldn't find balance either i'd just carry on going i'd never book a holiday i wouldn't have any mates i would never catch up with anyone apart from apart from the odd gamble i can go and play poker or something but then that's almost like business anyway once you start playing poker well that's that's (laughs) it isn't it i say i think because i'm getting older i've played hockey for 20 odd years and my body's not what it used to be my head thinks i'm faster than i am i can't cope with some of the kids that mark me these days and I'm, i'm injured all the time so you, you tend to find that you do less, you exercise less, which I know I should be doing. And then you spend that time working instead of getting you fresh air and getting your steps in and, and everything else. And that's right. Yeah. I think as you get older, as, as we've said, I've got a few years on you. So my body's slight, slightly more brittle, I would think. Um, I think you're probably in better shape though, to be fair. It's questionable. <laughs> questionable <laughs> so yeah I, I say i i have to be aware of it and i think as long as you're aware of it you can work on it um and the occasional reminder from the wife and the boys top man keep me in touch top man. well thank you so much for sharing your insights over the past hour yeah. it's been it's been absolutely fascinating and um you uh some brilliant 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 insights to take away for for listeners and for me as well i found it really developmental as well so i really appreciate <laughs> it um it's a pleasure yeah steve tell you know here's sort of um your moment just sort of tell people a bit more about particularly your business and your book where to find you that sort of yeah thing. um so business 14 years recruiting commercial construction professionals um i now coach mentor consults globally i run a recruitment mastery training program which is a 12-week online modular program. Uh, the book, Top Biller, The Life of a Recruiter, is, I think it's 7,000 bookstores worldwide. Um, Amazon, you can get it on audio and paperback. Uh, and as an ebook, I'd say that's me in a, in a relatively short bio. Nice, nice. And people can find you on LinkedIn, Steve. Yeah, I, spe- I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. Um, mm. Obviously, there is Facebook and Instagram, but if you really need me, LinkedIn is the best place. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Steve. And, um, you know, I really appreciate it. I know, uh, I know one of my uh, previous interviewees has reached out recently with support on, on writing a book and what have you, and you, you've given your time generously there. So, yeah, top man. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you've really enjoyed it today. And if you have, please do share, uh, subscribe, uh, leave some feedback. Um, be absolutely fantastic, as long as it's positive. No one-star reviews here. Thank you very much. <laughs> Take care and see you all next week. Thanks.
I really hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmer. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners. And we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.